MSW Media. Welcome to Teacher Quit Talk. I'm Miss Redacted. And I'm Mrs. Frazzled. Every week we explore the teacher exodus to find out what, if anything, could get these educators back in the classroom. We've all had our moments where we thought, what the hell am I doing here? From burnout to bureaucracy to soul-sucking stressors and creative dead ends. From recognizing when it was time to go to navigating feelings of guilt and regret afterwards, we're here to cut out the gaslighting and get real about what it means to leave teaching. We've got insights from former teachers from all over the country who have seen it all. So get ready to be disturbed. Join us on Teacher Quit talk to laugh through the pain of the U.S. education system. We'll see you there. The rule of law is not just some lawyer's turn of phrase. It is the very foundation of our democracy. The essence of the rule of law is that like cases are treated alike. That there not be one rule for Democrats and another for Republicans, one rule for the powerful, another for the powerless, one rule for the rich and another for the poor, or different rules depending upon one's race or ethnicity. To serve as Attorney General at this critical time is a calling I am honored and eager to answer. So yeah, now it's clean up on aisle 45 time. And for a long while yet, it is going to be clean up on aisle 45. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Clean Up on Aisle 45. It is Wednesday, August 24th, and this is episode 84, and I am in a hotel, and I think Andrew is in a hotel. <laughs> We're both traveling. Uh, I'm here tonight for um, the live show that will have already happened by the time you listen to this episode at Largo in Los Angeles, and let me tell you, it was awesome. But you but should travel back in time and go attend that event. <laughs> and then, uh, and I, I'm joined today by Andrew Torres. Andrew, where are you in the world? I am in a hotel in Rochester, New York, uh, getting ready to uh, say goodbye to my one and only son who is headed off to college. Uh, so tomorrow, the, the the day before when you're hearing this, uh, I will have uh, left, walked out the door, walked up to his dorm with all of his worldly possessions and um I have all the feels that a dad could have right now. So, um, so that's me, uh, you know, change of life, Andrew Torres. How are you doing, Allison? Uh, I'm doing, I'm doing great. I'm not, I don't have a change of life. Like I'll be walking onto a stage with like Kathy Griffin and my, but that's, you know, that's a little different. Uh, That's your usual stuff. I don't have a nest to empty. So (laughs) (laughs) um, my my eggs are deviled, Uh, but here we are. (laughs) And, uh, and that's, you know, that can be tough, you know, saying goodbye. I think of it as not saying goodbye, but like just saying hello to adulthood. Now you, you, you know, pretty soon you'll have a cool dude with money to drink with. You oh know? yeah. No, it, 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 we've already had that kind of relationship. Cause we, you know, we've, <laughs> we've, we went, uh, our last couple of vacations were in Europe. And so believe me, Alex is a big fan of the, like, Oh, Hey, I can drink wine here at 17. Like, so, um, yeah, yeah. But there we are. Uh send uh em- emotional mental vibes for me to get through this this time period and um if you would like uh 
You could also sign up to be a patron just like these fine folks. I'm going to give a big shout out to Das Fergand, to Wendy McKinley, Donna Cray, Barbara Panning, Fraud Vichyswa Everything, which is just a fantastic pun. I love that. It's, that is both pun and dad joke, so I love it. Gwen Ma <laughs> and Something in the Butter. So thanks to all of you for supporting the show. You want to do that? You know how to do that. Just head on over Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash aisle 45 pod, A-I-S-L-E four five P-O-D. Sign up. Give us as little as a buck an episode and uh, you'll get to be on our Zoom call. That's uh, always a lot of fun. And uh, any other goodies, we give away special bonuses, stuff like that. Um, you know, we, 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 we don't say we love some listeners more than others, but, but we love some listeners more than others. <laughs> yeah. And when I was a karaoke host, I swore it didn't matter if you tipped me or not, but it, totally oh, yeah. did. <laughs> uh, it totally, I'm like, no, I have a very, you know, you know, I'm a, I'm a mathlete, you know, I have a very intense data driven process about how I put everyone in order. It's just really based on how much money you give me. Um, but you know, it helps keep the show afloat. We don't do a lot of advertising here. So we, we, you know, that's what I really just got to send the love to all of our patrons because you are the reason we can do this. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. And holy shit. Uh, today (laughs) to get right into the news. Yeah. We have a holy shit kind of week to sum up. We sure do. Um, and first of all, we're going to talk about the the latest in the Mar-a-Lago search warrant, uh, Donald Trump, eighteen different defenses, but none official, uh, you know, issues. Although I do think has he actually fought? We'll talk about it. Yep. Uh, but it's 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 more hilarious to me than legal. Um, then we're going to talk about uh, Lindsey Graham and what came out uh, from the uh, from the judge in in that case. The Eleventh Circuit, I believe, one of the more conservative circuits, uh, helping helping delay this whole stupid thing. And then, of course, uh, I want to talk a little bit about uh, what I did—a full hour-long special on Mueller. She wrote for patrons of of Daily Beans this weekend. That Bill Barr March 2019 memo <laughs> that has to be released. And we're not going to cover the whole thing because we've covered it in depth on on other uh, avenues. But I do have some questions. F- still unanswered that I'm going to ask a real life lawyer, Andrew Torres. And then uh, we will talk about this Weisselberg deal because we have feelings. We have feelings about the Weisselberg deal, don't we? Yeah. Wow. That's, that seems like an awful lot of work. So let's, uh, let's get to it. Yeah. Let's jump in. Let's, let's kick this off uh, with Mar-a-Lago. So what did yeah. uh, judge Reinhardt say today? Yeah. So this, uh, the oral arguments, uh, the hearing uh, was conducted um, in the afternoon on Thursday of last week, right? So uh, the uh, 18th. And at that oral argument, I was a little surprised, right? Because the ruling from the bench was uh, to order the DOJ to produce uh, for an in-camera inspection a redacted version of the supporting affidavit. And I had so predicted here's, here's tw- 27. No, probably closer to 150 pages of just redaction bars it, with it, like it, the and hello and 
why and my, like <laughs> it's like rando words here and there i i, I made the catch 22 joke on opening arguments but you know right like so yosarian censoring uh everything out except the salutation dear mary and the signature and then you know writing in i yearn for you tragically <laughs> at tapman chaplain <laughs> we, US did Army. The, we did yeah. we did the schrodinger's affidavit over right, on the beans right. yeah um but but I actually I had a slightly different view coming out of the hearing because my if you would have asked me, you know, move move your chips in on the table. You know, what are you what are your beans for this? I would have said, I, I think that uh, the, the, the judge is just going to deny the motion. I did think that that's what I did. And that's what I said. And that's where my beans were. And my yep. beans were wrong. Well, and we don't know yet. We yeah, know right. Yet. Exactly. And so uh, to to have things come out, you know, sort of fairly critical of the DOJ led, led me to believe, okay, well, you know, maybe, um, maybe we, we miscalled that at the end of the day, I don't think we miscalled that. And I think that now that we have coming out today, yeah, what came out today, it's like, we're looking "Mm." at the actual written order. This is a dynamic that happens sometimes. I want to lean back on, you know, I have been taken to task by some, uh, including uh, atheist Captain America, Andrew Seidel, uh, who uh, thinks that the fact that I don't pay attention to oral arguments is uh, particularly at the Supreme Court level uh, is incorrect. I have always, I've long said oral arguments are not a basis for trying to read the tea leaves. And this is a good illustration of that, because very often a, a judge will use oral arguments as an opportunity to answer sort of lingering questions that that judge has as a result of reading the briefs. But the fact that he's been super hard on one party doesn't mean that he's not coming down on that party side. It means that, you know, that those were where the the questions were. Right. And right, he wanted yeah. to hear and, the answers. And, you and, know. and that's that happens all the time. Right. Like what this judge is doing is sort of establishing shit that he doesn't want to come up if, if you know, to, where people try to overturn his his decisions. Right. They, like. And and it makes sense too. Like everybody got really mad when this particular judge asked in in the in the hearing that happened last week was like, "Would you, the media, be okay if the Department of Justice redacted some stuff in the affidavit? If I if I decided to release it, would you be cool if they redacted it?" And everybody lost their minds. Like people thought that the judge was asking the media for permission <laughs> to get for redactions, and that's that's not what was happening. That was just establishing so that that way the media can't come back later and argue, "Hey, we never asked for these redactions." Or we didn't, we oppose these, or we'll just file a thing to oppose the redactions and delay. Uh, and, and that way he's kind of clearing it all up, you know? And so that's why, like you said, we can't always, we can't always rely on the, what happens in a hearing to look forward to what they're going to do. And that's seemingly with this, with this release, because Andrew, yep. the four, the four things, let's, let's, <laughs> let's dive in. Yeah. And, and let me, I just want to, to bring that point to a close, which is good lawyers will concede when the law is uncertain, right? Like, I can't tell you the number of oral arguments where I've had where I've said, look, I'm 80% sure that the law is on my side, right? Or the majority rule is on my side. Here's the minority rule. Here's why it's a bad idea to apply that in this case, right? And so all of those things come into play. You might have more uncertainties about the case that ultimately uh, the side that that you're, you're going to come down on. And I feel very confident that as we've read 
the written documents now. This is why I'm a documents guy, that, that that's what's going to happen. So first and foremost, we learn right out of the gate, bottom of page one. This was the question that you had asked me, that um, all the media interveners have uh, requested to release the affidavit. The government opposes the request to unseal and then, quote, neither former President Trump nor anyone else purporting to be the owner of the premises, Mar-a-Lago, has filed a pleading taking a position on the intervener's motion to unseal. Um, that's, I cannot tell you how crazy that is, right? We see these leaks out of Trump's truth social garbage platform every day about, oh, we're going to move for a special master. We're going to do X. We're going to do Y. Well, the problem is, is that he's hired a lawyer right now who I don't, I can't tell if she's ever practiced law, right? Her last gig was bobblehead on OAN. Uh, and um, you don't, when, when someone has executed a search warrant, uh, you don't hang out for three weeks and decide like, eh, you know, well, We'll write something when the time is right. Like you get involved right, now. <laughs> part of your argument is going to be that there's urgency. Yeah. And it's real hard to demonstrate urgency when you can't write a goddamn brief. In three weeks. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And that's uh, what waiting uh, kind of generates that uh, make, makes it a big problem for them. Um, I, I, I want to talk about, um, by the way, I thought it was really funny that Politico referred to the movements as uh, media organizations and judicial watch. and judicial watch. Yeah. <laughs> I I once asked the knowledge fight guys like how Larry Clayman got kicked out of judicial watch, and they told me like it's a story that's known in right wing circles. Uh, but I immediately forgot it and no longer give a shit. So you know, Excellent. all you have to know is that right wing crazy Larry Clayman founded Judicial Watch, filed like 9,000 lawsuits against the Clintons, lost 8,997 of them, uh, got kicked out of Judicial Watch by a guy named Tom Fitton, uh, and they're still at it, and they're still lunatics. So um, they have <laughs> they have moved here uh, to, to unseal the, 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 yeah. the search warrant affidavit, but they have been joined by, you know, actual news organizations. So mm-hmm. there you so go. What- I think the only quote unquote news in this filing is uh-huh. that the court has officially denied unsealing the affidavit in its entirety, which we knew that was probably going to be the case. So uh, there's that. Yay. Yep. Now, uh, in the context, it says of an ongoing criminal investigation, legitimate governmental concerns about unsealing this affidavit include witnesses will be unwilling to cooperate. And in, in the filing, the DOJ said in other high level investigations, <laughs> <laughs> which means January 6th. I thought that was a nice little, hey, yeah, we're doing our work. You can shut up. Um, so witnesses would be unwilling to cooperate and provide truthful information in their if their identities might be publicly disclosed. Of course, especially with Donald. Everybody saw Shea Moss and Ruby Freeman's testimony. Yeah. Um, law enforcement's ability to use certain investigative techniques in the future might be compromised if these techniques become known to the public. Number three, there'll be an increased risk of obstruction of justice or sub, uh, subordination of perjury if subjects investigative, if subjects of investigation know the investigative sources and methods. And four, the one I've been screaming from the top of my lungs <laughs> for like the last, it's ever since Trump was like, I want it all, I want it all released. I'm like, you're going to violate your own rights, my dude. And here it is. If no charges are ultimately brought, subjects of the investigations will suffer reputational 
damage. It's why we call him individual one. It's that's. And if, if they choose not to charge Donald, but they choose to charge Christina Bob, it'll say Christina Bob and individual one. And that's for a reason. And, and I've talked about this with the Mueller report and we'll talk about this when the bar memo comes up, because I see a lot of similarities between the, wanting to unseal this affidavit and wanting to get this bar memo out into the public, different reasons. And one's right and one's wrong. But, um, you know, Mueller made it clear that he couldn't say that Trump obstructed justice because he couldn't charge Trump. And therefore, Trump would not have his constitutional right to face his accuser. And that was a constitutional consideration. And that comes up in the bar memo for different reasons. But this it applies here too so when trump wants to seek the affidavit he's actually seeking to to violate his own rights yeah it it, i don't know that i agree i mean you know as i said on your show at the time i don't know that i agree with robert Mueller's construction of his obligations but you know we have well i would have charged him i think the osc Uh, memo uh, obviously yeah i I just want to put that out there there. (laughs) the office of legal counsel memo like that he he, that was fucked up he should have charged him and litigated that memo he did not i'm mad at him for that forever but under the circumstances special counsel is not uh, bound by OLC. Anyway, uh, let's not relitigate that. We're on the, we're on the same page with respect to that. But you are correct, right? Like we, we have heard Merrick Garland, the DOJ, speaks through its court filings. Well, its court filings say, we believe that there is evidence or instrumentality of the following crimes uh, at Mar-a-Lago. It is very, very difficult to square, right? There's there's a little bit of daylight, you know, between in 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 federal court anyway. In some state uh, jurisdictions, there there's none. I I, I learned this recently. Um, there's a little bit of daylight between probable cause and uh, you know more likely than not, right? But but uh, but at the end of the day, right? If uh, if you issue a declination decision, it is it is hard to put the genie back in the bottle. And that's why you don't give out the search warrant affidavit until uh, a party has been formally charged. Then then you have to under Brady. Yeah, but, but. yeah, you have to. But and, and as you and I talk, he'll get it if he's charged. He'll get it. <laughs> Somebody will get it. Somebody's getting charged in this right. case, if, even yeah. if it's not Trump. Somebody's going to get an indictment. And somebody will get that in discovery and then they can share it with Trump if yep. he wants to see it. But, you know, I, I think that the the probable cause, you and I talked about this last week, probable cause for a former president executing a search warrant at his residence is going to be jacked up a little bit. Yeah. It's I, not going to be probable cause for me, you know, and and that's, you know, it's it's going to be it's going to be a little bit higher. It's going to be like and Merrick Garland, it took him a couple of weeks to be like, we got to do this. We have to do it. I, I I concur. We could have an argument as to whether it should be that way, but I it shouldn't. <laughs> there you go. It uh, should not. So we would not have an argument. We would be in uh, a vigorous agreement. <laughs> we would uh, be in vigorous agreement because but, the law should be applied to everyone right. equally. I'm glad we agree. But but your point about what the law is and what this says when you were talking about traditionalist institutionalists who signed off on this decision, uh, I think is very, very well taken. So the legal principle being applied here in this decision is a two-step process. And the first is to weigh the public's interest, which is significant, uh, 
against those factors that you described, right? So those factors that that weigh in favor of sealing the affidavit are you could use that information to intimidate witnesses. You could use that information to discover what uh, are referred to as sources and methods used by the government in its investigation. And that is really significant, right? Like that tells you the way in which they're approaching these cases. Well, if, if, you're, if there are other cases uh, in which the same individual may be the subject of future criminal charges, right? Well, yeah. You the don't want to give those away. That, the whole reason Concord Management, which managed yep. the troll farm in St. Petersburg, yep. went to court was to get the affidavit in discovery so that they could learn sources and methods of our yep. investigation, uh, you know, our investigatory processes. They also asked for every sources and methods process we use going right. back to 1942 <laughs> but and the that, nuclear codes while you're at it yeah. yeah but that was the whole reason they they hired some american lawyers and went to court otherwise they would have just been like f you we're not responding to yep. your stupid you know your stupid indictment uh that's back uh, one of the indictments that came out of the Mueller probe yep. uh so that's you know they just wanted to get their hands on those sources and methods which they would have in discovery uh, and but they, everything was heavily redacted, and and then that's why the Department of Justice Mueller that they dropped the case. They're like, this is stupid. Yep. And then uh, this was a point I'd seen you make earlier, but uh, but not really in too many other sources that the affidavit discusses Mar-a-Lago, uh, which is a location protected by the United States Secret Service. So disclosing those details, quote could affect the Secret Service's ability to carry out its protective function. And yeah, it could endanger Donald. Yeah, it really could. And <laughs> and again, I, I'm shocked that you're the only one saying this and that we have to be the one saying this. But, but remember that I don't believe, and I think we have both taken the same position, I do not believe that Donald Trump gets a check from Vladimir Putin. Right. I do not believe that he is a Russian asset in that sense. I think he is a Russian stooge and a Russian asset in the sense that we know what the cyber attack policy of Russia has been for the past 15 years. And it has been to sow chaos and dissentment and distrust of democracy. Well, if distrust of democracy would be fueled by, for example, uh, assassinating Donald Trump, um, it wouldn't shock me to see the Russians want to take, you know, want to, oh, to, sure. to pull that out as well. Right. Like, it's not oh, like sure. they have any personal loyalty to him. So, no, yeah, they don't. And in fact, if you know, uh, having bad things happen to Donald Trump seems to foment violence in our country, they're going to be 100 percent for it. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Yeah. So we definitely need to keep those sources and methods quiet, though. I would argue with you about him not be getting a check from Putin. I think a lot of loans were underwritten through a subsidiary of Rosemary Vrablich's Deutsche Bank. Uh, I, but we could, you know. Yes. Story for yes. OK. But you know, you know what I meant. You know what I meant by the phrase. So. Right. There's not it's not a Michael Cohen Walmart bag with a boxing glove and 10,000 right. in cash. <laughs> right I'm going to call this a retainer. Yeah. Uh, do you um, remember that actually oh happened? God. Do you remember that story? Oh, yes, I do. <laughs> he was rigging a pole and he paid a guy with a boxing uh -huh. glove and cash in a Walmart I, bag. I did. I, it, let us not forget as we watch a sort of, you know, 
gleeful Michael Cohen uh, living his best life now that, you know, he was still the, uh, you know, medallion king of Manhattan. The medallion stallion. That. Yeah. yeah. He, he, well, he Jamie Lannistered it, right? He, he, yeah, he, there you got it. That he, is excellent. I wish we'd use that when uh, when his council <laughs> was on. But um, OK, uh, so, so let's talk about these four these four things, because the, the judge says Reinhardt says here, who's, by the way, has been threatened and it has, yeah, have, has have beefed up security that he gives great weight to the following factors. And you were going through those things, right? Yeah. And, uh, and, and so here's and how they important. Here's how they break down. Three factors weigh heavily in, fa- in favor of sealing in his mind. So number one, uh, invading the legitimate privacy interests of those witnesses and opening up them uh, to potential uh, obstruction of justice, witness intimidation, that sort of thing. That's pretty obvious. Number two uh, is the sources and methods that we just discussed at some length. That weighs heavily in factor of sealing. And then number three uh, were the sealed, uh, sorry. And then number three uh, was the uh, physical aspect of the premises. And, uh, and we expanded on that. On the other side of the issue, uh, is that this involves matters of significant public concern, which the court takes seriously, that weighs in favor of disclosure, and that large portions have already been unsealed, right? That the the search warrant itself, the cover sheet, that sort of thing. Um, have... And that cover sheet was actually a lot more significant than I think people yeah. realized because it had these little descriptions next to the the code next violation. to the specific code violations yeah that 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 gives you some insight yeah. and as as it turns out confirms exactly what you and I said on the show so uh mm-hmm. our listeners i think were were a step ahead but uh yeah mainstream press outlets could have uh, could have explained a bit more that 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 confirmed what you and i have been telling people for weeks so uh, so the court says, uh, and and this is an actual part of the ruling that we didn't know. With finality, no, we are not releasing those. You you don't. It's not additive, uh, but the factors favoring sealing outweigh the factors favoring disclosure. So we are not going to release the unredacted warrant. But that leaves open the question, right, of the the second half of the legal test, which is, is complete sealing of the search warrant and its affidavit of a court document, right? Is that narrowly tailored to achieve those governmental objectives? And is it the least onerous alternative, right? Or is there something in the middle that could achieve all of those objectives, but also, uh, release some more information to the public. And that's why the judge wanted the DOJ uh, by tomorrow, when you listen to this, to submit a redacted version of the warrant um, that uh, in its judgment would be sufficient to release uh, to then judge whether um, it, it ought to do so. Right. And the, yeah, and I like this because, you know, if let's, let's remember doodly do doodly do back when, <laughs> Back when the uh, Judge Reggie Walton mm-hmm. wanted to review Bill Barr's redactions of the Mueller report to see if they were appropriate. Remember? Yep. Remember? And he said Barr made inappropriate redactions yep. and lacked candor, which was kind of a nice little jab after what happened to Andy McCabe. Um, 
he was fired for lacking candor right <laughs> right <laughs> which was total bullshit because he had every authorization to release stories to the wall street journal but whatever um anyway that i like the fact that judges want to t- go in camera like in with the we're going to talk about the bar memo too and go in camera and look at this stuff and make sure that the department of justice isn't redacting stuff for nefarious purposes or inappropriately uh, so that's kind of what's happening here, right? He's going to look at the affidavit. He's going to make sure that the redactions are for privacy purposes to not disclose sources and methods for all the reasons that the that the Department of Justice says it wants to. They're, he's just going to verify that. And he says here, I cannot say at this point that partial redactions will be so extensive they'll result in meaningless disclosure, but I may ultimately reach that conclusion after hearing from the government. Yeah, and and so there there are two things to keep in mind here that when... The government proposes these redactions, again, by noon on Thursday, noon tomorrow, as, as you're listening to this. Under um, seal. Under yeah, seal. The government will come in and say, notwithstanding that we have blocked out all of our witnesses and all of our ongoing sources and methods, we oppose you releasing even this redacted information um, really for two reasons, right? The first is because we think it will be less being stripped of the content and of being stripped of the context that is, that has been redacted will not men, render this information. Uh, and the, the phrase here is meaningfully enhance the public's understanding of these events. Right. Mm-hmm. So it is going to be ripped out of context. It's going to be potentially misleading. You can't quite figure it out. Um, and so we're not giving you more information if we're leading you down a false rabbit trail. And then yeah, the and do second. You think, oh, I was going to ask. Uh, yeah. Do you think they'll argue uh, that it could be dangerous because of what these, you know, what Trump supporters do with this kind of information? That's a really great question. And because um, I've seen kind of I've seen some judges and some and the DOJ in some cases make these arguments, yeah, right? Like yeah. particularly with the election fraud lawsuits, like you're just trying to do a media circus here. You're going to misrepresent this this plaintiff or you know, the Donald Trump is known not plaintiff, uh I guess you would say I don't know what they would call him uh in this, but you know, the these this side is known for using information in in a you know in a dishonest way to foment violence or something like that and then maybe use the fbi in cincinnati example or something that's a that's a good thought the 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 way i was thinking about it is think about what you and i do every time we see a redacted or an anonymized filing, right? That is, <laughs> you know, sometimes it's super easy, right? When it says, you know, individual one, a former president of the United States, right? Well, okay, that's not hard to figure out that that's Trump. But but you and I have done that and successfully unmasked an awful lot of individual threes and organization sevens just from the context clues. And I could mm-hmm. see, right, the the DOJ uh, filing a brief uh, that that goes alongside their redactions that says, "Hey, um, 
we have obscured the identity of person X, but here we have a double bind because either we mention person X's occupation, at which point that will fuel a media frenzy for, oh, which real estate developer or, you know, right, mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah, is... it'll, be, it'll be subject to online sleuths everywhere. Right. Or we can redact both of that, at which point you're now left with uh, and and I think I think the words used this was citing a previous case was uh, our redactions quote would be so heavy as to make the released versions incomprehensible and unintelligible. Um, yeah, and, and not just that, but you know when you and I go after like what's under this redaction bar, how many letters yeah. fit, who you know we're doing it on good faith. We're doing it in good faith. This other side tends to yep. make stuff up. Yep. Yep. And, 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 you know, we have already mentioned witness intimidation. So let, let's, yeah. <laughs> let's kind of bring this to a close. Uh, we may get a redacted version of the search warrant uh, later this week or early next week, uh, but we may get nothing. And that, and I would like to get nothing. I, I, it, uh, yeah, it's, I'm on now on team nothing. I was on team, uh, you know, release the affidavit, um, for selfish purposes, uh, but um, but but no, I'm I'm on team uh, on team nothing, uh, as hard as that is to say, and um, and I think I think that, it's just safer, yeah, honestly, I, I, for I the United States. I, I think I, it's I, just safer. I think that's right. So we'll keep our eye on it, but uh, but that's that's where that stands. Shall we shall we talk a little, uh, Princess Lindsey Graham? Lindsey Graham. Yeah, I'm I I got to tell you uh boy, he sure <laughs> doesn't want to talk for somebody that's so innocent. Um it makes me wonder what was in the safe in Mar-a-Lago. Uh you know. <laughs> um what are those photos? What are those binders of photos? I don't don't I don't want to think about it actually. Um however, Here's, bring us up to date on what's going on, Lindsey Graham. I know Fulton County DA is investigating. Something I found very interesting was in her filing. Uh, she said, look, Lindsey Graham, you have to come in. We can't delay this because he has information on new witnesses and we can't subpoena our next batch until he comes in and testifies. And next batch, I mean, you've already talked to the governor, the secretary of state. <laughs> all Rudy Giuliani. Rudy Giuliani, the next batch is Meadows and, you know, Trump. That's people, <laughs> right. People whose last name is Trump. That, that Cipollone, is, that is, uh, yeah. you know, the, the, the very, very high tippy top. That's the oh. last batch because we've I, already I, seen filings too under seal for security protocol for their the special purpose grand jury reporting and briefing, right? And the security. I, so I, I, the, I, j- I just have to. Sh- to share as an irrelevant off uh, aside, uh, Thomas Smith got a puppy this weekend, and oh. the number one uh, choice for puppy name that people want uh, him to name the puppy is Patsy Baloney. Yeah. <laughs> so Patsy. I think that would be a great name for a puppy. Um, Patsy but uh, but yeah, so that, as soon as you said Cipollone, I was just thinking of what kind uh, of puppy? Thomas Smith. It's a it's a golden doodle. It's a it's a perfect. A delightful, that looks like an Irish dog. Floppy Patsy Baloney of a dog. I will keep everyone posted yes. uh, as to what the name becomes. But uh, no, so back to actual uh, court stuff. 
Um, as as we were recording, we talked about this last week. Uh, the U.S. District Court uh, for the Northern District of Georgia uh, issued an order on uh, Lindsey Graham's motion to quash his subpoena and said, uh, no, <laughs> uh, you <laughs> do not uh, have uh, the absolute immunity under the speech and debate clause. Uh, you've got to go testify. You want to uh, assert privileges on a case-by-case basis, have at it, but... Um, no, you've got to you've got to show up and you've got to answer questions. Uh, there was then uh, the emergency appeal made to the Eleventh Circuit uh, to stay the enforcement of that judgment. That came out um, on Sunday uh, during the day. This is dated uh, Monday, the the twenty second. Yeah, we uh, try to take a day off and then yeah, yeah and, and it doesn't we get happen. a gram filing, uh, <laughs> right. which at first I was really mad about. But now I'm kind of like, eh, delay now or delay later. It it I think you had you had exactly the right breakdown in it. And and so so here's what the Eleventh Circuit said. The Eleventh Circuit said, um, we are administratively staying the district court's order requiring Lindsey Graham to show up. We agree that there is no blanket uh right to quash, uh, but we are remanding back down to the district court for the, quote, limited purpose of allowing the district court to determine whether appellant is entitled to a partial quashal yeah. or modification of the subpoena. Uh, and and that's the headline. Yeah. The headline is the court says you're going to have to testify about something, right. my little friend. Right. And you so have then to figure out what that is. Now, I, uh, oh, you know, <laughs> I, I, a lot of people, my first thought was, what the, why don't you just know and compel him to testify? And then, you know, I play it out in my head. He's going to go in. He's going to answer questions that he can. And then in, in other instances, he'll invoke this speech or debate clause protection. And then Fonnie Willis will have to go and litigate it. And then it, we go through this exercise that we're going through now. We're just doing it ahead of time, which the only, you know, delay now or delay later, sure. But the only thing that, like, bugs me is... How do you know what questions the grand jury is going to ask or where it'll go? <laughs> and why are you trying to do this before? This is something that, I mean, it, it's not unusual for people to invoke privileges in grand juries and and then have to litigate those privileges. Uh, but I mean, it's really going to, you know, and then also the some of the stuff that isn't part of speech or debate that he might testify to might help them move forward with their investigation uh, and then she can decide whether she cares about what he's invoked speech or debate over or not. So it, yep. it just, it seems like this is a backwards move. And, and I, and I agree with that in, uh, in, in large measure. And, and the real question was how long is this going to gum up the works? Right. And today, 9 AM, we learned not very, <laughs> right? So yeah. this well, that is was my that was my consolation. I was like, uh, the, the it, thing hap- the thing that happened is the circuit court sent it back down to the judge who denied a stay and denied any- everything for Lindsay, and then said, "You set the briefing schedule." I said, "I right. bet this judge is going to set a very very fast briefing." Uh, schedule. It it if you had made that bet with me, I would not have. I I would have gone. You know, I would have lost on prices right rules. Uh, given this scheduling. Here is the scheduling. So remember, (laughs) we're recording this on Monday, the 22nd of of August, even though you're listening to this on Wednesday, the 24th. So uh, 
Senator Graham has until probably in the past, as you're listening to this, 9 a.m. on Wednesday, August 24th, Eastern Standard Time, to file a motion as to exactly which questions and or categories of information he is requesting the court to address in an order to partially quash the subpoena. So that had to have been filed by now. The Fulton (laughs) County District Attorney's Office will then get the weekend, right, they get all the way until Monday at oh, 9 a.m., right? That's nice. August two 29th. business days. It's, yep. They're giving it's, everybody two business days. They're giving everyone two business days, but let's be honest, and those two weekend days, and I promise you those lawyers uh, are working hard over the weekend, uh, at 9 a.m. to file its response, Senator Graham's reply, two more business days is due on Wednesday, <laughs> August 31st. A, I've never seen a briefing schedule this fast plus one week from today we (laughs) will get graham's reply brief that brings this all to a complete close 9 a.m and all of this now is left in the sound discretion of the trial court judge right except he can appeal back to the 11th circuit sure but at that point he he will and the 11th circuit is a conservative court but but i will say this right it would be very difficult to look at the way in which the 11th Circuit structured this order and the way in which this is going to unfold and to have the, and, and then be able to justify the same administrative need. Now, look, this this the 11th Circuit is conservative. Uh, Kevin Newsom, ex Uh, Covington and Burling, uh, somebody I know, um, is a Trump appointee to that court, right? So, you know, you have lots of opportunities for um, a a bad result, but you have lots of opportunities, even in a conservative court, for a pretty good result here. And and either way, right, we're we're fast-tracking that so, you know, we yeah, could and the have... judge actually asked Lindsay for a lot of information in two days. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. and here this is where my question comes in. And a lot of people were wondering this in in the legal circles. We were, I was texting some of my uh, actual uh-huh. other lawyer friends, but Ooh. we couldn't understand why the remand, because the district court judge was actually pretty clear about what's covered by speech or debate and what's not. Um, Why the remand? I guess they want like speech specific questions i mean what read uh, tell everybody what the um what lindsey graham has to what's his homework that he has to yeah. turn in today so the reason we have a remand is because the 11th circuit put its thumb on the scale and said even though you did not ask for this kind of relief that is the partial quashal relief we want to exhaust that opportunity that you might be entitled to some lesser form of relief before you show up, in addition to the right to present objections as you are asked on a question-by-question basis. Now, would you or I have gotten that from the 11th Circuit? Hell no, right? Um, so <laughs> they, 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 they basically put the thumb on the scale and said, yeah, even though he didn't ask for it, let him ask for it. That's why we're remanding, right? And so the court was like, oh, okay, well then, you go ahead and ask for whatever you want, right, by today. And by the way, we want, the, quote, the parties should also address 
whether informal investigative inquiries by individual members of Congress into issues that arguably fall within that member's legislative province constitute protective legislative activity under the speech or debate clause, or to the contrary, whether such protection extends only to investigative inquiries that originate from a more formal congressional source, such as an investigation authorized by a Senate subcommittee. And that was the basis for the district court's opinion, and not the full basis, but that was part of the basis for the district court's opinion in the first place, which was, look, Lindsay, you calling up your buddies and saying, you sure you can't find 11,790 votes is not a congressional investigation. And uh, if you think it is, we want to see the cases that would support that belief that a senator just kind of calling people uh, is the is the kind of investigation that the speech and debate clause was meant to protect. Well, um, and I feel like Fonnie Willis is probably like, Jesus Christ, I don't care about your deliberative, you know, am I going to certify the election or what election laws you are going to change? That's not the information yeah. I need from you. I just need your fucking ass in the seat so I can ask you these three things about Meadows and Cipollone and Trump. So I can do my next round before October 17th, which is when early voting begins in Georgia. (laughs) Yep. Yep. You know, so and and her email to Kemp, too, was like, oh, gosh, I wish we had time to go through that. That was was uh, that was that was beauty. So uh, that's where we stand with Lindsey Graham. We'll know everything will be concluded one week from today, but it will, of course, take two episodes of cleanup on aisle 45 before we get the result. But this is this is really I, again, you know, to have this remanded down Saturday night and uh, Sunday night and <laughs> Monday morning, 9 a.m. I mean, I was an apple polisher in school, but like that's uh, that is that is a quick turnaround. So, yeah, good, uh, yeah. good results all the way around. And I have a new favorite word, quashal. So, um, which is the noun version of quash, right? Yeah. And uh, and so my new band I've decided is estoppel quashal because those two words go together really well. Uh, Or maybe uh, in lemonade, quashal in lemonade is that uh, a thing? Quashal in lemonade. Yes. And uh, they could. And and like I said, I think this needs to be. There's not a lot of demand for this, but needs to be a seals and crofts cover band. So. Yeah, uh, or at least a shirt. They'll do nice, you know. Folk songs from yeah, the 1960s. Yeah, Moonlight, Love, yeah, yeah Incense like and Peppermints. <laughs> Speaking of Moonlight and Love, uh, I had a couple questions about the t- March 2019 bar memo decision from the <laughs> D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals. Now, I've gone over this in great detail on yep. uh, a bonus episode of Muller She Wrote and on the Daily Beans and on Twitter, because I am following this. There's only like four decisions Garland's made that I've been really, really against. And so I follow them like a hawk because, you know, I have some of these red lines. Yep. So basic backstory, back in when the Mueller report came out, it was turned into Bill Barr on a Friday. That minute, the minute he got it, he told his office of legal counsel uh, and the paydag, principal, assistant, deputy, attorney general, I think, <laughs> O'Callaghan, Yep. To to whip up an office of legal counsel memo that says why I'm not going to charge, why he didn't obstruct justice. I'm going to start on my letter to Congress now. Uh, go. And so Citizens for Responsibility Ethics in Washington wanted this memo unsealed. And so they they filed laws. They asked for it for FOIA. They were refused. They filed the lawsuit. 
Bill Barr's DOJ came out and said, nope, nope, deliberative process privilege and attorney-client privilege. And deliberative process privilege means we were deliberating uh, about whether or not to charge Donald Trump with obstruction of justice. So because of that, it's privileged. People should be able in organizations to have frank and open conversations without the public knowing about it so we can bounce ideas. You can't see it. Then we had a really great election and Joe Biden became president. We nominated Merrick Garland. <laughs> um, and Garland ha- is picking up the mantle f- and, f- and going forward th- with the baton of this case. And he decided he was going to, f- to continue to fight to keep this document sealed, which pissed me off. <laughs> so uh, anyway, um, the, the uh, Judge Jackson, if you're nasty, Amy Berman Jackson, Judge Jackson decided, nope, you your arguments are bullshit in order for something to be deliberative process privileged you have to have it it has to be pre-decisional and uh there has to have been deliberation and since you already made up your mind uh no you you weren't doing that so it's not pre-decisional your argument sucks release the memo and then garland appealed with the same shitty arguments didn't he yeah yeah and the and the the uh, the appeals court said, no, these are the same shitty arguments, and no, you can't make this new argument that we told you about. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't move to make a new argument, uh, and e- even people who move to make new arguments, we get, we tell them to pound sand all the time. So no, 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 must be released. So here's my two questions. Okay. You. Did Garland flop on this on purpose? Did he throw this? Did he pick up? Did he do the bare minimum by picking up Barr's shitty arguments and just running with them as best he could, knowing that there was a perfectly good, probably knowing, hopefully knowing, there was a perfectly good argument that could have kept this thing under seal? And that is, there was a decision they were deliberating, and that was how to go to the public with the Mueller report. But they failed to mention that after five motions and a motion, <laughs> uh, five briefs and a motion to appeal. Well, and and we should point out that we know about that only because of Judge Jackson's decision, right, which unsealed part one uh, of the memoranda, but kept sealed part two. And, you know, you can then read. Yeah, and that was in- that was this DOJ. They were like, yeah. just keep part two sealed. And then when right. part one came out, we learned what that other reason was. And I'm like, uh, this DOJ doesn't seem that sloppy. Yeah, it it's it is hard for me. <laughs> it's hard for me to give a kind of a thumbs up, thumbs down on, you know, whether this was uh deliberately taken a dive. Um it it again, I you know, I want to say a, a, a number of things here, right? Like first, institutionally, institutions tend to defend their own privilege kind of maximally, right? Like we talked about this in connection with the DOJ's decision in the Eugene Carroll case, right? And the the notion that they were going to defend an expansive view of what counted as performing the official functions of the presidency, right? And that is not surprising. And that is something that, again, uh, you know, you and I have talked about the Eugene Carroll case at, at length on both of our respective shows and amongst each other. But, um, it, it, I think the DOJ is correct in the view that it took with respect to that, right? Like we, you, you do not want to set the precedent. You do not want your organization arguing, Hey, by the way, like 
there are times if you harass our guy enough and he's talking that we want you to parse whether he is speaking electorally or as the president, they do not want, right, for whether the privilege to attach to Joe Biden attaches, whether he's speaking electorally or in his capacity as commander in chief. They want a broad view. So number one, I wasn't surprised. I was not pleased, but I wasn't surprised to see the DOJ defend the initial position. But I can tell you they they have not developed these arguments very well. No, and, and there was a perfectly yeah, low-hanging fruit it, argument it, it, for it, deliberative it, process privilege. And not only that, they didn't just they they looked at attorney-client privilege and they're like, we're not arguing. Oh, that yeah, far. they they Barr completely that, gave that, but up. they yep. they dropped that that argument altogether and just went with the deliberative process thing, put in their arguments, and then they even came back and apologized about about <laughs> about yeah. it. The DOJ said, "Hey, judges, we we don't want you to think we were being dicks here when we doubled down on our previous shitty arguments." Yeah, you know, so this, this wasn't in bad faith. So so let's let's unpack kind of that last bit of the argument because you've tossed around the two operative legal principles, right? Which is that it must be uh, predeterminative, right? That is before a decision has been made, and it must be deliberative, right? That must be that that the discussions must be in furtherance of a decision that could be made. Right. And so the principle, those two reasons, uh, if either one falls, uh, then the the, the uh, protections do not apply. And both of them are nonsense when it comes to what we knew about the Barr memorandum at the time, which was uh, that this was something Bill Barr asked to be cooked up after Bill Barr had come to a decision, i.e. that it was pretextual, and that in light of the claimed deliberative process was whether to charge the president, they went into that knowing that they felt bound, uh, or at least were going to argue that they felt bound by the OLC memorandum that they couldn't charge the president, right? So you can't claim a deliberative process to do a thing you've already decided not to do and that you had no power to do in the first place. But once that section one was unsealed, then uh, the, the DC circuit said, um, <laughs> that uh, because there was never an actual charging decision to be made in this case, because the department does not rely on a mere thought experiment about whether the evidence would support a charge as to the relevant decisional process, that was an argument they made and lost on. The question naturally arises, what is the decisional process that the department believes justifies its withholding of the memorandum? The department's answer for its briefing in our court is that the memorandum quote, was intended to assist the attorney general in deciding what, if anything, to communicate to Congress and the public about whether the evidence recounted in the special counsel's report was sufficient. That is, the deliberations about whether the evidence in the report amounted to a crime went to deciding whether to say something to the public on that issue, not deciding whether to initiate a prosecution, which was never on the table, right? So they say, okay, right. now, maybe and, you have and, that. And I do have to interject here because one of my yeah. favorite things in this filing was an example they used because, you know, the, the the Department of Justice argued, well, you know, maybe it was just a thought exercise, a hypothetical. Uh, since we knew, you know, we weren't going to charge Donald, we were just gaming it out. Like, what if yeah. what if we could, you know, and that's that's the argument they were double down, doubling down on. But here the court says, for instance, imagine if instead of asking for a memo assessing whether Trump had obstructed justice, 
Imagine Bill Barr requested a memo about whether Nixon obstructed justice. <laughs> and suppose he asked that question because he had simply been curious about whether Nixon committed any crimes. Of course, the attorney general could not be considering the initiation of actual criminal charges against a deceased president. Debates about whether President Nixon committed a crime thus seemingly would not qualify as pre-decisional, absent an asserted connection to some ensuing decision other than the bringing of a charge. So if you're uh, Rosenstein and Engel and O'Callaghan and you're sitting there, well, you know, we're not going to charge him, but would if well, boy, we could, could? What if we could? Would we? Yeah, right. And and let's talk about Nixon too. Would we charge him? Blah blah blah. And we're gonna we're talking about this in order to figure out how we're gonna deliver this news to the public. Then you have a decision other than the bringing of a charge. You're deciding how you're going to present these findings to the public and using these examples easy as fuck argument to make and the court here says we probably would have granted you that I, it, it, okay so that this is where i've got to jump back in right it, it, i want to parse that very very carefully because the court says without the public component you're just masturbating right we it, it <laughs> mentally masturbating right um we don't care no deliberative process attaches to what if right well what if we wanted to charge nixon or thanos I, you know who the hell cares you don't get deliberative process privilege if there isn't a real decision to be made at the end of it but then they say but wait a minute now the doj says there is a real decision to be made at the end of it and that is the decision about whether and how to tell the public. And here, and again, you, you summarized it the way you did. I, I want to read the sentence. This is page 21. Quote, the department's view on that score might well be correct, period, right? Then there is a page and a half of citations that's like, yeah, um, this is exactly a kind of a decision. It's, it's pre-decisional, right? You don't know mm -hmm. uh, if and how you are going to inform the public. Uh, and it's deliberative. you got lots of different things that you might want to tell them. You know what? And then they give specific examples of when yep. they, public affairs officials have had to deliver public statements and had deliberative processes yep. and, and cases that they've, they've gone over and over and over and over again. All of that. And then the, the twisting in the knife. The department's filings in the district court, however, simply did not make or even suggest that connection. If anything, they suggested the opposite. The initial Colburn declaration stated that, quote, the attorney general announced his decision publicly in the March 2019 letter to the House and Senate Judiciary Committees. That's the one that omitted three knots. Yeah. Uh, which indicated that his relevant decision was communicated in the letter, not that his relevant decision was about whether to send the letter or what to say in it. And, um, and then so they conclude, in short, while the decisional process on which the department now relies involved a determination as to whether the AG should make a public statement, none of the department's submissions to the district court suggested that the March 2019 memorandum related to such a decision. In its briefing to us, the department expresses regret that its submissions to the district court could have left the misimpression that an actual charging decision was under consideration, and it assures us that any misimpression it may have uh, caused to that effect was inadvertent and not the result of any bad faith. Wow, I would love to have been uh, the, the lawyer writing that one, right? Like, because you know what that says, right? You read between the lines, it is, 
I'm sorry. There was kind of a change in administration between the last time when um, this office was lying and now where I, I promise <laughs> you we're not. Um, that's a real hard thing to put in print. Uh, and uh, and the D.C. Circuit notes, still, the department at no point indicated to the district court that the memorandum gave advice on the making of a public statement. The department thus failed to carry its burden to establish the relevant decisional process. Um, so notwithstanding uh, that this is an interesting case, um, it, it at number one, we have no indication. This order came down uh, August the 19th, right, last Friday. Uh, and as of today, uh, there has been no notice of appeal. Uh, we we don't know. I mean, there's there's still time to file. We will keep an eye on this. Uh, but no How indication. How long does the DOJ have to appeal? Because I noticed in this ruling there was no schedule for appeal given. Um, and there was also no stay given. You know, like there's no indicate because that's my second part of the question. First, did Garland flop? And second, will he appeal this? Um, yeah. And, you know, it's only Monday and it's it's but it's, you know, Monday's over <laughs> right. uh, just about uh, on the East Coast. And there's still nothing from the Department of Justice is about like emergency stay request pending appeal to on banc or, you know, nothing, nothing. I don't see anything. Yeah. Um, and so. So there, there are a couple of different uh, possibilities, right? The the first and and the most important question, right, is noting, right, as a background, something that that we have all learned, which is filing an appeal does not, as a matter of course, stay the judgment, right? So uh, if you wanted to appeal this decision, <laughs> uh, but also you wanted to block the document, you would need uh, to 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 immediately so move, right? Um, you would need to say, hey, uh, we are filing an emergency. This would be on the shadow docket, right? An emergency request for relief to the Supreme Court to administer it. And, and the way you would phrase it is, uh, I, I am requesting, the DOJ is requesting administrative stay uh, pending the filing of our cert petition. And then we will also request uh, that if the court grants cert, uh, that they will stay the the enforcement of this judgment pending the court ruling on uh, whether to grant cert and then its ultimate rulings there. Um, we haven't seen any of that today. We haven't seen any indication uh, that, that that will happen. Um, you have, from an adverse district court opinion, uh, you you have 30 days file, you know, following the mandate uh, to, you know, lodge or appeal to file your cert petition in this case uh, with, with the Supreme Court. Um, and and indeed, it could still be longer. I do not know if that um, if that time that that so that deadline was extended during covid. And I don't know if it's been a, a, a reduced back yet. Could be, could not be. But the important part is, you know, as we've talked about in all of these cases, uh, you don't want to appeal this decision and still have the judgment go into effect. Right. You need mm -hmm. administrative relief. If you're going to block this, you need the Supreme Court to know uh, and to, to issue it. something in you the next couple it. of days. That's exactly right. And if they you don't have to do it, otherwise it just gets released to, to citizens for responsibility against uh, against ethics in Washington. <laughs> it's just for responsibility. And uh, ethics there in is Washington. a group of that. But <laughs> that, yeah, well, the former yeah. administration. 
be, they're they're going to get it. And they've just been saying on their Twitter, we're getting it. It's going public. Everybody, yep. we're getting it. So maybe they know that the the DOJ isn't going to oppose it. The DOJ has, has said they, they weren't. That, that, that strikes me as plausible. But I've um, asked them like a million times, have you heard? Are they going to appeal? Nobody can tell me. No, it's like a mystery, right? I feel yeah. like they would have done this. They would have 9 a.m. this morning. Hey, poke, poke. We need an emergency stay pending appeal. I think that's I think that's absolutely right. If uh, if the DOJ were intending to appeal, right, they would have had the weekend. You got staff. You would have put together a cert petition and uh, an emergency request for a stay on the Supreme Court shadow docket. It would have been hand delivered, uh, you know, to the justices. And um, and and the fact that we didn't see that leads me to believe uh, that. Um, that is not the direction this DOJ intends to go, uh, which again, you know, I, I don't need to be on the side of of taking a dive to say that um, there there may be mixed views in, uh, you know, now given that, in, in other words, I would put it this way. I think if the DOJ could get a ruling that says we protect cases like this generally, but we would like to release this memorandum specifically, that would be the best of all possible worlds. And they may be looking at the things that we just read and and going, oh, this is perfect, right? Like it, it, it even says in the future, we may have these avenues open to us uh, to protect the deliberative process privilege. Uh, but, you know, not it's not going to fly in this particular case. That may be exactly what they want. So, yeah, which uh, is, which is why I ask if they flopped, if they yep. if they said we're going to do the bare minimum here and pick up bar shitty arguments and do the best we can. And I just imagine Garland like saying, I'm sorry to the line prosecutors. I'm sorry you have to argue these shitty, shitty arguments, knowing <laughs> there's a perfectly great, amazing argument that you could win with. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I feel like they didn't want to win this one. Yeah, it's it's tough to infer that, but I have to say that what we are left with is a situation where um, there the request for uh, administrative relief to to seal the record is not a thing that DOJ wants. Like I think they would love to see this memorandum get out, and, yeah, and we'll know we'll know yeah. if they do the, if they file an emergency shadow yep. docket SCOTUS stay thing. That means they argued the best they could and sucked. And they don't want the memo to come out. I will be blown away if that happens and very upset. You will hear from me. Me too. Me too. <laughs> and I'm also very upset about the last thing I want to talk about today. Mm. Some people are keep defending this and I can't figure out why you would defend giving three months to a guy in a slam dunk fucking 15 felony charge case to get basically nothing out of him except testifying against an organization where the organizations can't go to jail. So I don't understand what's going on with the Weiselberg deal. I don't like it. Uh, I know uh, our, our friend Glenn Kirshner also doesn't like it, uh, but but Weissman thinks it's great. Uh, I, I can't I can't understand. Can you help me? Help me. I, I, I express these exact sentiments on the last opening arguments. Uh, I agree with you. I have great respect for Alan Weissman. Like, uh, I know this isn't my lane. So, you know, uh, if, if folks want to say, you know, stay, stay in your own lane, stay out of mine, I'm, I'm sensitive to that, but I look at this. So yeah, uh, we should, for the interest of accuracy, it's a five month sentence. It will be three months in a week 
uh, considering time served, right? He was um, facing like nine fif- years. 15, 15 years potentially in prison. He's 75. That would have been the rest of his natural life. And yeah, the reason you take a plea deal is one of two things, right? Number one, uh, be- I guess three things, right? Number one, you take it because you're getting something else of value. Right. So you are of value. Right. So that so you are reducing the sentence somebody ought to serve in recognition for the fact that they're doing a thing of value to the justice system. Number two, uh, you you take it when there are uncertainties, when you are face severe doubts about whether you could prove a particular charge or not. Um, And again, as you and I have said, these are well documented, teed up. Um, you know, this, uh, was, and again, almost all of that work, uh, was done by Cy Vance, right. Uh, was, was set up on a tee and, and done and done and Pomerantz who, yep. who resigned in protest and disgust yep. saying, we're, we're out of here. You fucking peace. You're not going to seriously slam dunk case. You're not going to charge Trump. We're out. Uh, peace and, out. And was designed to squeeze Weisselberg, right? Like to say, oh, you've you've resisted because we've seen the you know reports of well is Weisselberg going to flip and you know ultimately those turned out to be no and so what you do then is you say all right man you're 75 I'm going to put you away for 15 years and if Weisselberg stares you in the face and says well I would rather do 15 years than flip on Donald Trump you go okay well so maybe we have to open up an investigation on how your kid got into that uh you know, super swanky uh, <laughs> school in Manhattan. Maybe we're going to have to take a look uh, at your family relations. And at some point, you look for him to say, all right, man. Or you take him to trial and put him away for 15 years. There you go. That's the thing is that, is that that's what you people are not. You don't need his testimony you... to win the case against the Trump organization. You don't. I mean, and, it's nice. And, and but... your, third, your third point there was, I, I thought, by far the most critical if you get Alan Weisselberg's cooperation to win a case against the Trump organization, Alan Weisselberg is the Trump organization for folks not named Trump, right? So if you're not going after individuals whose surname is Trump, uh, then getting a conviction, cutting a deal with the CFO to get a criminal conviction against an LLC, a privately held LLC, is literally the dumbest thing I could possibly imagine, right? Yeah, because like, explain real quick what happens if Weisselberg's testimony is the thing that that nails the case, the criminal case against an organization. What what does the what happens to that organization? So, Fines. Yeah, I, I mean, there there are a couple of things that can happen. Number one, uh, in some cases, uh, very, very rare, uh, it, it, executives from an organization that has been adjudged uh, to have broken the law uh, can have can serve prison terms. That's not going to be the case here because the highest ranking person in the Trump organization who could possibly serve a prison term is going to be Weisselberg and he will have double jeopardy protection on those crimes, right? So it's, you're not going to get him to serve on behalf of the Trump org and no court is going to order like, you know, Weisselberg's deputy accountant to go to prison over what happened, right? So you could have fines against the organization or right 
uh, you could have, uh, under New York state law, you could order the dissolution of the organization. And, and before, you know, again, the, 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 uh, you know, Pollyanna start coming out and saying like, well, see, that would be like, this is not like disbanding the National Rifle Association, right? Disbanding the National Rifle Association was a great thing uh, because it had, you know, huge bank accounts and relationships and all of that. Uh, and it's difficult to kind of rebuild those sorts of things. The Trump organization is a personal services company run by the Trump family. If it got disbanded tomorrow, then the day afterwards, right, Eric, Ivanka, Don Jr. could start the Trump 2 family organization, right? Like, it, it there is yeah, and, absolutely, and yeah. Tish James is going to do this anyway. So, right. like, yeah. Yeah. why are you just, I, I'm... It, it, this is not, this was supposed to be the criminal side of the investigation. Mm-hmm. And I, and I get it. You might say, right. And this is, this is in fact what I believe has happened, right. Which is they've said, all right, we've decided we're not going after Trump. Well, if we're not going after Trump, why are we screwing around with this Weisselberg guy? Like he's already said, he's not going to flip. You only want him to flip if you want him to flip on Trump. And he's told us to go fuck ourselves. So, um, all right, just cut it, you know, whatever, be be done with it. But like whatever be done with it should be take him to trial, right? Should be, oh, hey, all right, question, are you going to cooperate? Are you going to serve as a cooperating witness or not? He says, no, cool, see you in court in October, right? And, the, I, and these are slam dunk cases. I don't get that. It, the, the people who are saying you have secured, you don't have his cooperation, but you know, he is required to testify. Woo. Yeah. Great. Somebody who has sat in closed door hearings and said to you, I will lie to you about Donald Trump. You, you now are going to procure his testimony. Like, what? like a, no, you're not right. <laughs> yeah. That's another thing too, is, is that there's indications that he violated uh, an immunity during testimony to the, the a federal grand jury. And that's kind of what led to this. So to why, he's why a, are they letting him off the hook? He's I just a don't... serial liar and defender of Donald yeah. Trump. And, yeah. and, and look again, we know that we know when these turn out to be good or, and they don't necessarily turn out to be good deals. Right. But we know the process that happens here, which is, uh, when you sign someone to a cooperation deal, this is the analogy is Paul Manafort, right? Like all of a sudden, if you realize, Oh, Hey, this guy hasn't flipped at all. He's feeding us disinformation and bullshit. And, he hasn't cooperated. The terms of revoking the cooperation deal are the subjective satisfaction of the DOJ. That's super easy to prove. You just have to get an affidavit from somebody that's like, hey, Weisselberg said he was going to cooperate and he stopped cooperating. And the court's like, did you? And, you know, and again, Paul Manafort went into court and was like, no, I absolutely continue to cooperate. Look at all the documents I have given them. And the DOJ was like, he's jerking us around. And the court was like, yep. All right. The, the deal was cooperation. The per, the party with whom you were supposed to cooperate says you're jerking them around. Therefore, you're jerking them around and we're revoking the deal. That's how you ensure that somebody testifies is mm-hmm. you sign them to a cooperation deal. When you don't, then what you're left with, and these are the arguments that, 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 that people like Weissman have been making, which is, 
well, you know, if he lies, it, then, you know, you could go get him for perjury. No. And why, it's would like, you, why would you waste time on a perjury when you had him on 15 felony I, tax it, counts? It, it, I just say to you, again, I would like for this to be the case. List for me the number of perjury convictions that you have seen in the past five years. List the number of perjury trials you have seen in no, the last No, but Andrew, five you years. don't understand. This is all an awesome plan worked it, out ahead of time to get him on a perjury charge. And, and it, you know. it, This is not how you set up a perjury trap. Um, and, you know, when people were saying, like, the, the judge read it out solemnly and said, if you violate any of the terms of the agreement, you serve out the... Uh, uh, you know, the full sentence that's judges do that every time you sign up. Yeah, that's deal. not new. That's, that's, that's how it goes. Plate. The yeah. only thing, the only thing that, that gives me a little bit of pause and, um, uh, and Weissman said this on the Sunday shows uh, a week ago now, uh, now uh, two weeks ago, a week and a half at the time this, this goes to air. Um, well, you know, this does not contain a, a scope clause, right? It does not say uh, that we will not, charge you again in the future for related crimes. Usually you get that, right? When you get a plea deal, you get, uh, you're pleading guilty to these 15 crimes. We agree. We won't bring those charges against you or any substantially similar charges, right? Uh, 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 or, you know, it might say uh, a relating to or arising out of the same transaction or something like that. Uh, right. Or, you know, since this goes back. And I agree it doesn't contain a scope clause. But to me, the most parsimonious explanation of that is that when uh, Weisselberg said, well, I'm not I'm not cooperating, then the DOJ was like, fine. Or not the DOJ, the, the, the Manhattan uh, District Attorney's Office uh, was like, OK, fine. If you're not cooperating, you're not getting a scope clause. And and then I think Weisselberg's attorneys mm. were like. They're not going to bring additional charges against you. Whatever. Sign it anyway. Right. Like, because then it, the ball is in Weisselberg's court. Right. Like he can come back and go, I'd really like a scope clause. Right. <laughs> and Alvin right, Brad could right. be like, I'd really like a pony. Uh, <laughs> and then and then the question is, do you still sign this or not? And at the end of the day, right, again, not my lane. I get it. But if I'm Weisselberg's attorneys, you know, and he asked me, all right, well, I didn't get the scope clause. Should I still take the deal? You're like, oh, God, yes, you should still take the deal. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 100 days, 15 yeah. felonies, yeah. and I don't have to testify against the guy who I wasn't going to testify against? Yeah. Sign me up. So me I up. don't... This is a sweetheart if, deal, and I hate it. If the whole point, let's go back to, let's zoom out a level of resolution, right? The whole point on wanting there to be state charges that stick are charges against the former guy from jurisdictions that if goddamn Ron DeSantis turns out to be our next president, he can't pardon Trump out of. That's why you want this. And in my view, there is no way to look at this and go, this brings us closer to state charges against Donald Trump in New York. It just doesn't. And, 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 even if everything went the optimist way, you would have to be like, okay, well, now we got damning testimony in a trial against Trump org, and now we got to go back to the beginning and reopen the possibility that we're going to charge Trump. And it's just like, no, no, it's not going to charge him in January you when you got there. You, you, yeah. These are, these are real estate valuations, right? This is this, these are 
done deals. Um, yeah. The only thing that would make me okay with this deal is if it had something to do with ratting on Trump in a federal IRS investigation. Yeah, to which we have, and again, uh, understanding that you know this uh, uh, attorney general because, plays it close to the vest. Because but we well, have no because, indication of that. Well, we have a little tiny hint of that in that he had Weisselberg had to agree to plead guilty to those crimes and state and federal crimes. Mm-hmm. So that he did have to say that he he you know he also violated federal crimes. Yeah. Why would he have to do that? So if if there's some sort of a deal with Southern District or you know something's going on there, okay. And, and I will. I'll, I will. I'll, I'll do an Andrew was wrong if that's the case. But this. No, no, we, we won't <laughs> be wrong because we'll say that this is the only time it would be acceptable. <laughs> Fair enough. But we'll be right. Uh, we'll be correct. There, we'll be like, look, here it is. It's true. He was cooperating against Donald Trump. I doubt it. Yeah, I. I want to. I really want to take it. the under on that. So yeah, but that's why but I'm if saying. that does happen, if if we find out. That the reason he had to also say he that Trump was guilty of federal stuff was so that the Southern District of New York or the IRS could run with a you know uh, with Trump stuff you know for federal uh, crimes. Okay, if that was stuck in there for that and that's what got him a hundred days. Sorry, five months. <laughs> <laughs> Fine. Fine. Yeah. I'll, I'll be I'll be I'll be cool with that. Although we'll I still see. don't think this deal was necessary to yep. to get that done. Take the, him you, too. The, the, fed, the feds don't need. I mean, it would help the feds if the feds were investigating to get that guilty plea from the CFO of the Trump organization. It would help their case. Let's, it would. And I just want to end on this, right? That, that that like there is a kind of understandable monomania among those of us who are progressives uh, of. I don't want to see Donald Trump left out from uh, uh, being held accountable, right? And I get that. I feel that. I argue that every single day. But let's not fall into the reverse trap, which is that only convictions of the former guy count, right? There are a lot of scumbags in play here. And Alan Weisselberg is a scumbag of the highest order. He has spent decades covering up conspiring with Donald Trump to commit frauds from, you know, the, the petty, uh, you know, to, to the sublime, the, you know, uh, having Mar-a-Lago buy a painting of himself to satisfy the, uh, uh, uh town, <laughs> uh, you know, to, to discharge that, uh, town debt for violating, uh, the height ordinance, uh, to, <laughs> you know, the, 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 the truly disgusting. And, um, and he's somebody who should be in jail for a long time, right? John Eastman should be in jail for a long time, right? These people who were, were in on the ground floor, Rudy Giuliani should be in prison for a long time. So, you know, the, 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 that's part of what's disappointing here. Is it okay? You know, you can't get uh, useful information because he's not going to flip. He's, you know, he's decided he's going to be, uh, you know, Alan tight lips. Great. Um, put him away, put him away for a long goddamn time. Go to trial, do your jobs. Well, so. here's hoping the IRS will do that. Um, <laughs> and maybe they're just doing it separate and has nothing to do with it. Now it says um, 87,000 new agents. They yeah, all, right. they all have Weisselberg tattooed on their <laughs> eyelids. 
good. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, all right, that is our show. I just want to let everybody know uh, last minute here that Donald has filed his lawsuit uh, related Ooh. to the search warrant. It's on the docket, but there's no document associated with it yet. Um, but it's there, U.S. District Court, Southern District of Florida. Uh, and um, we'll see what it says. But, you know, a hundred percent, it's not even going to get to the merits. It's going to be procedurally dismissed. <laughs> yep. And uh, it's, it's stupid and it's way too late. And the only reason that he's filing this is because Laura Ingram actually made a fool of Christina Bob on Fox News. <laughs> yes, she did. And in Trump circles, you know, they was like, that's terrible. Why haven't we filed anything? Laura's right. Why haven't we filed? And so that that's why this is happening. And it's the only reason it's happening. And, and Jim Trustee is probably like, what the fuck do you want me to file? You have no case. <laughs> well, I can't uh, wait. I can't wait to read it. Sorry we didn't get to yep. bring that to the listeners. But uh, <laughs> we had a uh, lot to go over today. Appreciate the late breaking news. Uh, no, this is a. Uh, This has been Clean Up on Aisle 45. I'm Andrew Torres. I'm Allison Gill. We'll see you next week. Clean Up on Aisle 45 is written, researched, and produced by Allison Gill and Andrew Torres with editing by Molly Hockey. Our art and logo designer by Joelle Reeder and Moxie Design Studios, and our music is composed and performed by Adam Orr. Clean Up on Aisle 45 is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, visit mswmedia.com. They Might Be Giants have been on the road for too long. Too long. And They Might Be Giants aren't even sorry. Not even sorry. And audiences like the shows too much. Too much. And now They Might Be Giants are playing their breakthrough album, Flood. All of it. And they still have time for other songs. They're fooling around. Who can stop They Might Be Giants and their liberal rock agenda? Who? No one. This ad was paid for with somebody else's money. Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn-in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I step off the plane, and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. And one of them in broken English said, welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis's first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA. As a first-time lawyer, I want to act like I know what I'm doing. But with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler, how much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary. They were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes. And they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry. We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said, Show me, in a courtroom, how we were at war. Expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. 
This is Lawyers, Guns, and Money. So you have a man in an Armani suit standing on the bow of a boat with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, I will launch. You will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th, or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. Subscribe now.